From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. As of the first week of August, Juno has seen 751,592 visitors come to the capital city. That's against an estimated capacity of 1,026,382, meaning capacity is at 73%. That's according to data provided by Docks and Harbors. Juno Chamber Executive Director Craig Dahl commented on the tour season up to this point. I think the reaction, um, and I'm going to go back to about a week ago, several of the business people commenting that they were at pre-pandemic levels for business activity. Now, that's measured against a couple of things. Some some of the merchants, at least one of the merchants I spoke with, um, felt like part of that is because some of the Shorexes have not been able to um, deliver capacity um, you know, whale watch boats are still still looking for crew. I mean, I think they feel like they're busy, but more people may have been retained downtown um, downtown shopping. Um, so I think this mid mid season into the fall, I think people are feeling really good about um, the volumes down there. To address workforce housing in Juneau, Dahl said there might be help on the way. I know that uh, Brian Holst down at JADC, they're working on a short term housing study. You know, we're trying to analyze. You know, where did the housing go? If uh, population stable or maybe even down a little bit, uh, how come we don't have plenty of housing around? Um, Wayne deals with this a little bit on the other side through the Alaska Committee. We watch uh, how we were able to take care of our legislators and legislative staff when they come back to Juneau. And so it's a little bit of a, a curiosity. Um, I know there's actually a conversation going on. Um, I'm going to call it very informally and certainly no names involved, but there's a, a pretty large company that works primarily up north that provides um, large-scale housing for the, the, oil, um, the drilling companies. And uh, it's been suggested they come down here and look at the southeast market and see if there's any, um, any application of their assets that could help us through the tourist season. Juno Chamber Executive Director Craig Dahl. Juno Deputy City Manager Robert Barr spoke on the KINY Morning Show about the deal struck this week between Huna Totem and Norwegian Cruise Lines for waterfront property in downtown. Huna Totem plans to lead efforts to develop a new pier and related infrastructure on the parcel and is expecting to submit plans for the year-round facility before the end of the year. With the donation, NCL will receive preferential berthing rights at the pier once development is complete. The city wasn't involved in this deal, so this was just between Norwegian uh, Cruise Line Holdings and Huna Totem. Um, this, the, the Assembly has uh, has has. has taken a few fairly limited actions to date. So you'll recall that we um, went through a fairly extensive process with the Visitor Industry Task Force that analyzed really the, the whole broad scope of tourism in Juno. Um, and after that, uh, the, the Assembly uh, had a request before it to amend the long-range waterfront plan to conceptually allow for ship dock at the subport property. Um, NCL has been clear that that is why they purchased the property and, and what they would like to do there. Barr spoke to some of the long-range goals the city wants to see with the downtown waterfront. No hot birthing, right? That's not something that we see as conducive to um, the community, our community values when it comes to cruising. If tourists are going to be here, we'd like them to be there, be here for uh, a full day and not just for a couple hours. Um, and another uh, another. Uh, big criteria was a five ship a day limit. So um, we, uh, the visiting industry task force, generally felt that we could handle five ships a day. But when we see those six and seven ship days, again, that starts to be um, not conducive with with community. Value.
value. So there's more to it than that, but those are kind of the big pieces. And explain what comes next for Huna Totem from the perspective of the city. Huna Totem will have to come before the Planning Commission and then the Assembly to get um, uh, various various pieces lined up before they can do any sort of development or construction project. And those those would certainly be two of the major ones. Barr added that the city retains control over the development of the waterfront. Meanwhile, a selection of frequently asked questions regarding the proposed construction of a new city hall facility is now available online on the city's website. Barr spoke about the FAQ. Voters will be asked this fall to decide on a $30 million bond to design and construct a new city hall at 450 Whittier Street in the Auk Village District in Willoughby. Every year, uh, when we're leading up to the election, we work to put out voter information uh, so that people know uh, all the specifics and details about what they're voting on. And our objective is for that information to be just as fact-based and neutral as possible. Uh, so recently, we put out some frequently asked questions about New City Hall, uh, and that's available on our website at juno.org. It's one of the items on the front page right now, one of our more recent news things that will eventually cycle off of that and just continue to be available on the Engineering and Public Works page. Deputy City Manager Robert Barr. The results of a study on more dock electrification in Juneau is out. Recently, the Juneau Assembly's Committee of the Whole moved to have docks and harbors begin developing a plan that would use $20 million of city funds to go towards electrifying two city-owned cruise docks and perform maintenance on the existing electrified dock. Port engineer Eric Shaw said on Action Line that they are looking at first electrifying the Alaska Steamship Dock and then later the cruise ship terminal next to the Mount Roberts Tram. We completed the feasibility study for electrifying both docks, the AS Dock and the CT Dock as we call them. And what we did is we looked at the current fleet and what vessels could connect, what they needed for power supply and what we would need to uh, to construct on the hillside above to give them that power. And our um, proposal to start with is to electrify the Alaska Steamship Dock, uh, but have a, an eye towards um, the full build-out, so the substation on the hill that would supply both docks. We're kind of calling it the AS+. Plus. In electrifying the docks, it is estimated to cost 12 to $15 million per dock. Shaw was asked what grants might be available. We had two grants out for this round, one through the RAISE grant, one for the PIDP, or Port Infrastructure Development Grant. We received notice a few weeks ago that our RAISE grant application was not selected. There were a few in Alaska that were. Uh, we can talk about a little bit about those later. But we're still waiting to hear about the PIDP, Port Infrastructure Development Program. Um, that was usually focusing on terminals, cargo terminals. There were some uh, changes to the wording in it that allowed uh, passenger terminals such as ourselves to apply. So we're hopeful, uh, but we'll know in the next month or two uh, where we stand on that. Juneau Port Engineer Eric Shaw. Due to a crew shortage, the Tustamina sailing yesterday and today were canceled. It is anticipated the Tustamina will resume its published schedule tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. from Homer to Kodiak. The city and borough of Sitka pass an ordinance on first reading Wednesday that would address short-term rentals. The ordinance, if passed, would update the allowance of a conditional use permit for short-term rentals, with particular regard to limiting the permanence of permits issued. 
residency requirements and the application for a permit, as well as addressing a, a gap in how short-term rentals and long-term rentals are defined. Short-term rentals would be defined as rentals of single dwelling units for less than 30 consecutive days for money or other valuable consideration by someone occupying the dwelling. Mayor Stephen Eisenbay said he could support the ordinance, though more data is needed. Not only Alaska, but the nation has a housing crunch right now. Uh, lots of factors did play into it. Um, I even uh, spoke with the, the gentleman on the side and asked uh, in Sitka, um, since we do have a large population of retired individuals that aren't in the workforce, um, because this is also a workforce um, presentation, they kind of went hand in hand, is, you know, is it retired individuals buying homes and that's why our workforce is down? And they said, well, it would be an easy assumption, but they don't have the, the data to prove that either. Um, so this, this is what makes this conversation hard, is that everybody knows that there's an issue here, um, and we, we know our boat is filling up with water. We don't know where the hole is. Enforcement of the ordinance, the mayor added, is a troubling thought for him that will require more discussion. I can support this ordinance overall. Um, I just have... Uh, I have questions and concerns going forward that I, I feel we need to, to hash out. Um, the enforcement one really, really scares me. I, I don't know what we can do. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know if we can just flip the lights off on a, on a rental if, uh, if they're found to be operating illegally. I don't know if we want to do that. So I think putting code out in front of it um, definitely helps the process. Um, but without enforcement, it, it prevents uh, next to nothing, unfortunately. The ordinance passed the first reading unanimously. The Interior Department is giving 24 states a total of $560 million to start cleaning high-priority oil and gas wells abandoned on state and private land. A news release said up to 10,000 wells could be dealt with under grants announced yesterday. It's part of $4.7 billion set for orphan well cleanup under the bipartisan infrastructure plan approved late last year. The department has said $1.15 billion will be given out during this fiscal year. Most of the states are getting $25 million each. Alaska said it would plug and clean up 12 to 18 wells with its initial grant. Arkansas and Mississippi are getting $5 million each. What is your stand on executive branch employees taking loyalty oaths and why? Well, there never was a loyalty oath. That's a fiction of the media. Republican Tuckerman Babcock, a candidate for Senate District D, spoke at a forum on Wednesday with challenger Jesse Bjorkman. Babcock was Governor Mike Dunleavy's first chief of staff starting in 2018. During the forum, Babcock was asked about a loyalty pledge asked of at-will state employees. He told the moderator that the so-called pledges were a work of fiction in the minds of journalists in the media. Just like every administration when Governor Dunleavy came into office, the at-will employees were asked to submit letters of resignation. And that has been done in the past. One thing the governor did differently was he invited all the at-will employees to submit letters of resignation. And that list was actually provided by Governor Walker and his staff. So we just took that list and the governor asked for resignations and we took it from there. 
That audio was courtesy of KSRM Radio Kenai. The following day, Babcock spoke to News of the North and reiterated his position on the letters requesting resignation. The whole issue of the so-called loyalty oath is a myth created by the media and the political opponents. The letter requesting resignations of at-will employees was very typical of letters issued by incoming governors. The list, a difference might be that we asked Governor Walker's office to provide a list of all at-will employees. And we took that list and sent a request for resignation to all the at-will employees. And uh, that's all there is to it. Babcock said the letter that former Governor Bill Walker sent is materially the same as the one used by Dunleavy. The ACLU of Alaska reached a settlement to award a pair of Alaska Psychiatric Institute doctors damages, lost wages, and attorney's fees. The two had refused to sign the letters requesting resignation. With students moving into their respective campuses and schools starting up soon, the Juneau Community Foundation spoke to the amount of scholarship awards they provided. Program Director Christy Chambor relayed that figure while on Action Line. It was a pretty exciting time. We awarded um, approximately $30,250 in scholarships, Kevin, which is fantastic. Um, and the schools each handled them a little bit differently. Um, I believe JD and um, Thunder Mountain host an awards ceremony for the scholarships, and then some are actually distributed right at graduation. Um, but yes, we had several. And offered this note for those looking to apply next year. If you're a, a caregiver or a student um, and you're curious, um, especially if you have seniors this year, um, these, these open up again in the spring, um, and then they are awarded, like I said, around graduation time. And all of the funds are distributed directly to the, um, you know, where they decide they're going to go. Some apply to secondary schools, vocational schools, trade schools. Some are strictly colleges and universities. Um, it really depends on which scholarship you're applying for. Juno Community Foundation Program Director Christy Chambor. Juneau Mountain Rescue helped a father and son off the West Glacier Trail in Juneau after reporting they were stuck. On Wednesday afternoon at 4.50, Fairbanks Dispatch received a report from the Juneau Police Department in reference to two stranded hikers on the West Glacier Trail. Helge Wessig, age 55, and his son, both of California, were hiking on the West Glacier Trail when they got stuck on a steep cliff. Twelve members from Juno Mountain Rescue responded to, the, to their location and then rappelled down to them. Juno Mountain Rescue then lowered the Wessigs down to an area below the cliff so that they could hike back to the trailhead. At 4.02 in the morning yesterday, members from Juno Mountain Rescue and the pair arrived safely at the trailhead. No injuries were reported. An alarming report regarding drowning death rates. ABC's Todd Ant with the latest. The report from the CDC shows a 17% increase in drowning deaths from 2019 to 2020 among people younger than 29. 
The largest increase was seen in young adults, 20 to 24 years old, with a 44% increase. The report also analyzed drownings by location, finding deaths in natural water increased from 2019 to 2020. The CDC says some drowning prevention strategies that work include installing barriers to prevent children from access to pools, teaching basic water safety skills, wearing properly fitted life jackets, and actively supervising children. Todd Ant, ABC News. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.